school. So Joan said that uh, her comment was, I made it to Grandma Hanlon's laugh one last time, <laughs> transcending time and eternity, because Grandma Hanlon had died 22 years before. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Dr. Scott Cabalba a little bit later. Actually, I won't be, but Graham and Nathan will be. So that'll be good. Oh, yeah, right. I was... Graham, Graham, Graham Dunlop. How? Graham. Sorry. Okay, Graham. Graham Dunlop. Actually, first as always, Graham Too Many Grains Dunlop. Too many grains, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Addicted to grains. You are? Yeah. I think Lisa and I are going to go for the... Keto? Yeah. Nice. In the in the fall. Well, in a couple of weeks, that episode will come out that we just we just chatted with... Uh, we'll try it out. Tristan anyway, from Primal Edge I noticed Health. that my audio is fucking centered again. From that cord I changed. Yeah, we just changed cords and it sounds way better. So thanks for your we support. Think, we think. I guess you can let us know if it sounds better. I think I definitely sound better because this was all offset before. Mm. That fucking cord was really having some problems. Yeah. And we got all new cords. Yeah. But that's why we need support. Not all new cords, but pretty close to all new cords. Yeah. We're at 80% new cords right now. And we actually have a couple extras, which is nice. They're old extras, but they're still extras. Yeah, it's good to not be using every cord. So we want to welcome everybody new to the show. And uh, this is an interview-style podcast, but what we do in the beginning of each show is Darren and I do a little bit of housekeeping. We talk about stuff, uh, stories ourselves, and get listeners involved, read their emails, their stories, synchronicities, and uh, yeah, we All always... fun stuff like that, lots of lazy ramblings. Yeah. We always... Um, most people like the intro, but if you don't, there's a fast-forward button on most podcast players. It'll take you right to the interview, and we also put a timestamp in the show notes, so there's no excuse. If you don't like it, fast-forward, Mikey. Right. There's no reason to go onto YouTube and post your spiel on every single video we've ever created. Yeah, that was pretty intense. Well, the bonus about that is it actually didn't show up. It only showed up on the couple shows that I allowed it to show up for. Oh, really? I approved it for a couple, just to let it. Yeah, you the guy it. posted it two hundred and thirty times. I feel like I have to let a couple through, but because he posted on every video, and he must have just been copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. Yeah, that's crazy. YouTube picked it up as spam. <laughs> Unless Mikey has an army of bots or something like that. But he literally, I was going through because it's in our likely spam folder now. Right, right. And I was going through and it's literally every episode. So we're talking about some YouTube feedback. which oh, wait, is I'll do that. I, I don't mind the negative feedback, totally. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America Newsletter. Bingo, bingo. Thanks. Now I'm going to have that in my head. That's Are you going to read it? Yeah, I'm going to okay, read it. Okay, you're going to read it? Okay, we'll read it out. Well, I'm going to do a couple of them, but I'm going to start with that one. Okay. Because it is mostly positive feedback. We just like to focus on the hate mail. I don't mind the neg I don't mind negative feedback. I don't I really mind don't. negative either. It's good. I that like it when are. it's hurtful and 
personal. Because I've kind of got because <laughs> I've kind of got a, a a response to him as well, right? Of course An argument. Do. So here we go, and it's actually it starts kind of nice. You guys cover the best topics, but I refuse to sit and listen to all the bull at the beginning of each episode. No consistency. I have to skip an hour ahead every time I want to hear a great guest. Really, wow, poor decisions. Not my show, but I suggest you put that intro crap into a fucking outro as it's utterly ridiculous. Sorry, man, knowledge should be straightforward. No one cares or comes to this channel for this boy club intro shit. I'm kind of mad because this would be an effing awesome show. I just can't get one episode without getting so annoyed I just stop listening. Imagine all the people who don't comment who think the same. You would benefit a lot more just saying, seriously, how the fuck is 30 to 55 minutes intro a fucking intro? Like I said, share the knowledge, man. 232 times. Wow. Yeah, he's Thanks, really Mikey. Got he's really good. <laughs> so I actually, he caught me in a bad day. So I actually just took it and posted it on social media and said, go fuck yourself, Mikey. <laughs> and <laughs> I reiterated that, you know, there's a thing in the show notes, but I don't think Mikey likes the fucking intro. Go fuck yourself. And everyone commented and kind of said the same. And I'm sure there's people that skip the intro. And I mean, skip the intro. If you don't listen, skip the intro. That's fine, yeah. 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 It's in the show notes. But this is more than content, right? That's what my argument against Mikey's thing is, right? This isn't just about the the guest. That's most of it's about the guest and the content and the great conversation we have with them, but it's more than that, right? It's about our community and we get the listeners involved. And that's the way the show's evolved. Right? So it's we're not gonna get rid of the intro. Most people really like it and Darren and I like to do it because we get to read emails and stories from listeners and that's the part of the show that i like as well getting people involved and hearing their feedback yeah well it's one thing to interview all these great guests and it's another thing to hear from our great audience and have you know be able to focus on them a little bit we get great jingles we get great you know yeah, we got to beg for we can beg we got to beg for support at some point otherwise we couldn't keep doing the show without everybody's support we have no revenue from ads or anything like that so everybody's support really helps like we bought new cords for the studio and we got some support recently, got some new equipment. So it, uh, yeah, it enables us to keep going. And we also started an extra content feed for people that do support the show, which we might as well talk about now. We're, we're popping out a new episode in there. So we're calling it the, the Black Budget Support Feed. And the next episode is a bunch of trip reports. So some listeners' trip reports. Darren, I talk a little bit about it. I don't really have a good trip report but we talk about past experiences and darren's got a pretty intense one in there the elusive almost dying I was, one i was thinking did you not have any more nde experiences within that almost death trip report that you talk about i was thinking i should have prodded you a little bit you for probably more, could have like, prodded me a bit more for like yeah. what but was, was so the details because it was hours you were sitting in the yeah, corner like 12 of your hours room. yeah yeah so if you want to hear the Wait details of that <laughs> And maybe, and yeah. we, maybe we should get into it one day more. Like, well, yeah, it's tough. There's so many people now, right? That's part of the problem is that there's still only a very small percentage of people that support the show, like less than 1%. So instead of telling is it, it less to, than 1% yeah. for us, yeah. yeah. Instead yeah. of telling it to tens of thousands of people, um, I can tell it to a couple hundred yeah. and it's not as, you know, yeah, yeah. not as tough. Yeah. 
Yeah, we do less than 1%. I mean, shows like THC are doing around, you know, closer to 10 and other paywall shows are doing three to five. We chose to do this way, but I mean, it's creeping up. Yeah. I mean, we were probably actually, we're probably closing on closing in on 1% now Yeah, with the, with the, and I've actually got some emails of people thanking me, thanking us for pushing them over the edge. Yeah. And some people have been, there's been a lot of positive feedback about our extra content feed, this black budget support feed, which has about eight or nine. Is there eight or nine episodes in there now? There's seven. Seven and Ironically, episodes. none of them. We haven't even started like the first episode that we actually recorded for bonus for the extra feed just posted right so that's the that triple one yeah that was all just stuff we had lying around yeah we had that, a bunch of extra content lying around that we, we threw to in there it. just to populate it a bit but now we're gonna you know try and commit to two shows a month and one near the beginning and one yeah. near the middle i guess yeah we'll try that one near the beginning one near the middle of the month uh, extra feed it'll be more controversial probably some different types of episodes and we'll still do the odd extra one in the free feed as well yeah but to get that access, it's only any donation at all, right? Any any monthly subscription yeah. or any one-time donation. That's the best way to support us, really. But we have a bunch of other ways to support us as well. You can send emails and jingles and stuff in. And Darren's got the regular spiel there for spreading the word. That's right. All that fun stuff. Share the show, rate the show. But, uh, yeah, you can hop on today. You can check out grammarica.ca slash support. Um there's anything there from a buck a month to 30 bucks a month. I can email you any custom subscription you want. Um, if you can't afford that, you can do a one-time donation. Any donations I see come into my email. I compile them, and once each day I go through. And Actually, and, I must almost be caught up. Has it been a month yet? Uh, I think it's close to a month. It's got to be in like another week and a half, right? And I don't have to do that anymore. I'll only have to do that when new subscribers come through. Yeah, yeah well, that's good. Yeah. But it's been, we've got, you know, we've got a bit of, bit of definitely a few new subscribers since we started doing it, and they seem to be happy with the content they're getting. Um, yep. So yeah, yeah it'd be nice to have a bit of a budget and pay off our debt for the investment that we put into this and, and get, uh, you know, some steady, the monthly ones really help because it covers all our fixed expenses. and Yeah, and we want to try some new things and, you know, attempt some growth and yeah. all those things sort of help and help us, you know. Yeah. Help us grow and keep the show going really yeah exactly and i think we'll yeah talk about different ways we're doing that down the road right on so do you have any more social media feedback well we're still kind of so mikey we're not getting rid of the intro and one day maybe you'll maybe you'll listen all the way through i if you do i expect you to delete all those fucking comments too you prick well, that's the problem I had with it. Make a couple comments, but 230, that's a little bit excessive. It's like, are little, you really that annoyed you can't just look it, in the notes for the timestamp? Or you can't just, yeah. or you can't just yeah, fast forward it? Uh, here we got it. from uh, Mithradis. Mithradis. Magus. Mithradis Magus. Hey, guys, I just found your channel a few days ago as part of a Randall Ramble YouTube crawl. Magus, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. He's a mage. Magic user. Magic user, yeah. Okay. Whatever you say. And I have to say that I think you're rapidly becoming my favorite podcast. You have a good mix of humor and serious dialogue, and you actually let your guests speak. Keep it going. It's funny how people think we're funny. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny how sometimes they think we let our guests speak because you interrupted (laughs) our last guest a couple times. (laughs) That was his, that was because he had, uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's when I, yeah, I don't know. You did it too, though. I know. 
couple times. We try, though. We do try. Also, if I may make a guest request, request, have you ever thought about having Josh Reeves on your show? He has spent years researching the rock wall of Rockwall, Texas, the ancient giants of America, the Brotherhood of the Snake, and a host of other topics. And he can be pretty funny, so I think it would be an enjoyable interview. Jeez. Anyway, thank you for the enjoyment and enrichment you've brought me so far, and I look forward to future shows as well. What was his name again? Paul Reeves? Yeah. And then he threw some G words in there. Gregarious, gangrenous, heroic, and golden. Gangrenous, Graham. No, golden's better. Uh, here we have very cool shit. Keep rocking, Grimerica. Uh, oh, that's Buddy again. There's Mikey again. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, I really enjoyed this interview and this lovely, nice, and just beautiful, pleasant lady. She is just awesome. Wow. Was that her? And then there's a bunch of people that commented that they listened to the end. Because if you don't listen, if you didn't listen to the end of the last episode, you missed, uh, Failed's Gem Trails commercial, which is a big hit. Oh my god, that was too funny. Uh, blah blah. There's uh, really nothing here, but no, a bunch that's of fluff. Good. I don't want to that's read good. too much fluff. That's good know? for the yeah. That's good for the little social media segment. So what do you got? Well, I got a UFO quote from the CIA website. A UFO sighting from that. If you want to get the profound UFO quote of the week. I feel like they're dropping in profoundness. You gotta step it up. What? Your quotes suck. What do you mean? Okay, this is from the CIA. I don't like the CIA. Dot gov. Why not? Okay. This is, you know. So the country, I don't know, this is the country, non-orbit. The subject is military-unidentified flying objects. And this is from June 1954. What does it say here? This is unevaluated information. Hmm. So they're talking about a bunch of sightings of um, flying objects. And it goes from Stockholm, uh, a couple of them in Stockholm, Turkey, West Germany. And the one I want to get to is at the end here, because it's kind of one of the coolest ones. And this is in Germany as well. And it says, employees of various airlines at the Dusseldorf airport recently observed a shiny round object which approached from the south at high speed, then turned toward the west and disappeared above the 6,000 meter overcast sky. An employee of the Condor aerial advertising firm who happened to be watching a skywriter of his firm at the time called the object a flying saucer and stated that it cannot possibly have been an airplane, balloon, or aerial measuring device. Several other airport employees confirmed his observation. There you, got, there you have it, buddy. That was it? That was it. So I, but I got a follow-up from our, um, our C-SETI group thing, too, that I forgot to talk to you about last no, time. No, 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 no. We're what? all C-SETI'd up. No, no, no. I just yeah, gotta, no, it's, no, a, no. it's not a part of It's just a part of the text uh, texting afterwards. And I had a little sighting as well. Can I Dark. rate it? It was the day. <laughs> it's a bit of a synchro, actually. So it was the day after. I think it was the day after I was lying on my porch looking up. And I saw what I thought really high. You know how if you look up in the blue sky, like just probably under 
you know where the cloud levels are, whatever. I saw these two, this white, these white objects. And I thought they were birds, but I thought they were like, you know, like seag- seagull type birds or something, even though we're in Calgary. Something you might see in Vancouver. But I thought they were birds. And There's then seagulls they, here. Yeah. They live I at the dump. And then I, th- and then, uh, I thought they were, they were way up there. And I thought, oh, those are just, they must be just birds or white objects floating. And then I saw two of them like together, sort of moving together, where they didn't seem like they were flapping or waving around like birds might, but maybe they were high up and I couldn't tell. But then four of them in a in a shape started um, gliding through the air, and then I lost sight of them. And I thought, well, what was those? And that's, it just didn't seem like birds because they were. And then I was communicating with um, with Celia, who was leading our Sea City group there, and she said, uh, "Hey, guess what I saw today?" So this is like I think it's the day after or just after our our sightings we had at the last outing we went to and she says i saw the coolest little black triangle slash clover shaped ufo float up like a balloon up to a cloud and disappear into the edge of cotton candy colored wisps and then uh i said wow that's interesting funny oh no and then i told her what I saw, how I thought it was a bird. And she says, wow, that's interesting. Funny. I thought the thing I saw was a bird too. And Jason saw something he thought was a bird, but it was transparent shadow. Transparent? Yeah. Like a Klingon bird of prey? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that's kind of weird. We all thought we saw birds, but weren't sure. Shortly after. Yeah, because you guys are still all fucking UFO crazy. <laughs> and you all seen some birds. Yeah. And thought they were UFOs. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Hey, each other maybe. running around in the bush all weekend, fucking. Oh, it was only one night. It's all it wasn't all weekend. How, well, it's half, half the weekend. Yeah. Anyways, there you have it. There you have it. Yep. So I got a couple of other little synchronicities from listeners. You want to do that? Sure. You got a synchro jingle at all or anything? I want a good skull from a synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah Oh, this is from Mike, he's a friend of the show He says, Mikey? No <laughs> Or Mike K Mike K, actually Graham, bit he's of a synchro one sync- of our biggest supporters Yeah, thanks Mike Bit of a synchro today. Last night, while I was eating dinner with my parents, a TV program called Secrets Garden of Eden came on. It didn't take me long to realize they were talking about Gobekli Tepe. I got a tad annoyed that they had to sens- sensationalize an already incredible archaeological dig by haphazardly claiming it might be the Garden of Eden. As is normally the case, my parents just nodded and tried to change the subject, but I was determined to get some type of rise out of them. Getting an idea, I quickly took my phone out my phone to show them two photos. One of the hands carved into the Gobekli Tepe pillars and another the same hands on the eastern island Moais. No one ever talks about that. I know. Except me and now this guy. <laughs> to Mike. my su- to my surprise, they actually Liberal actu- Mike. To my it was just Liberal Mike? Yeah. To my surprise, they actually seemed interested and for the first time at admission that it was quite strange. Fast forward to today where I'm counting all right, I'm continuing to listen to the back catalog of the Grimerica show. I flip on the October 23rd, 2013 review of the 2013 Paradigm Symposium. Since I'd begun the episode yesterday, I started around minute 33. 
Not 30 seconds in, you began describing how Robert Schock was making cool little links between Eastern Island and Gobekli Tepe. Pretty interesting timing, if you ask me. All the best. Hmm. You got to rate him, rate him a little higher since he's a An one of eight, our top donators. Eight point four. Eight point four. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a that was a creeper. Yeah, unexpected. It was a creeper. <laughs> so I got another one here. Two a twofer. Yeah. Do you want to listen to it? Wow, that just blew some people's eardrums. Yeah, eh? I hope that levels out, does it? No. What? You can't level that? I can, but I won't. Well, there's been a couple the of those. The compressor should take care of it. Oh, I don't know. So, what? hey there, hey there. What do you mean you don't know? You don't even listen to the show. Because there's was a couple the last other things. episode you listened to? I don't listen at all. Like, I think mine was like episode four. Okay. <laughs> Actually, no, the first like 20 episodes, I was still pretty anal. And new, and now we, we were, count. Now we, we were count a lot on, newer too. Now we count on feedback from James and, and other listeners. That's right. Say something. Audio quality, quality inspectors it's slipping. <laughs> Anywho, so hey there, hey there. Started listening hey about there, hey there. six months Does he ago. Type it twice. Yeah, he does. Okay. She, I think. Started listening about six months ago. I love the new content and I've been enjoying making my way through the backlogs. I tried to become a subscriber three months ago and only realized now it had not taken. AKA, I am now a 333er. So actually I should mention that because all the time, not all the time, but probably at least once or twice a month, we'll get like a, a one-time donation of one of those subscription amounts. Right. Like, And it doesn't take monthly? No, that people are just, yeah, maybe it doesn't take. I never occurred. I just assumed people were typing it in the wrong box. Instead of choosing from the drop-down menu, they're typing it into the donation box. Oh, the one-time donation box. So right. The, so the monthly subscription. If you have to type it in, you're in the one-time donation area. The subscription is all dropped down. Yeah, and we're going to be changing the website eventually the as well. It'll, 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 it'll clean up a little bit, but right now there's a drop-down for the monthly and then a separate box for the one I was in the process of doing the new website, Yeah, and I got hung up. Yeah, that's James okay. Well, no, yeah, no worries. So I've started listening. No, I've started to write down my synchros because I seem to be having very small ones more frequently. One example being, while in the car the other day, I was listening to the song Chasing Shadows by Santa Gold, and the lyrics say... Rodeo, as I was passing a sign advertisement saying rodeo this weekend. I know it's not super significant, but it didn't go unnoticed. Yesterday, I had a more significant synchro involving this show. It was during my commute when I was starting to listen to episode 229, and at some point you mentioned a quote from Jurassic Park, Life Finds a Way. Fast forward an hour and I'm sitting at my boyfriend's bar midday shift. He looks in the TV guide and finds Jurassic Park, the first one. And he turns to me and says, life finds a way. He chooses the channel and not five minutes later does the quote come up in the movie. I couldn't help but laugh because of the random chance for all that to meet up within a few hours. Rate at your will, Darren. But the wild thing is that I live at work in a different town I live and work in a different town than the bar my boyfriend works at. Along with that, it was only there because I'd left my wallet in his car the day before, forcing me to go back and get it. Anywho, that's my synchro, and I guess my goal rating would be higher than a 3.33. I'll give you 7.42. And she says, keep on keeping on. Your friend Claire with hoops. Thanks, Claire. 
That's a good one. Yeah, I love those little ones. One. Yeah, that was a good one. I like it when the show's involved, too. Yeah, it gets you an extra point for it, too. Right on. And being a donator gets you an extra point. So what else you got? What else do I got? <laughs> I got nothing. I got hate mail. No, we're not there yet. Do we, uh, I got some feedback. This is a pretty cool written uh, feedback. Written? Yeah, it's, it's kind of well written. It's kind of funny. Oh, fucking. It's from Corpus Christi, Texas. Nice. Want me to read this guy? Nothing in the P.O. box lately? Uh, no, no gifts in the P.O. box. No, just huh. stuff that I ordered that I had to buy. Let me know if anything comes in. Okay. We'll do. Make sure no one follows you here. I just keep that to myself. All the donations that come to the P.O. box. If you get any American money, let me know. Okay. I'm going to America a couple days. Actually, I have some uh, U.S. money that left over that I could uh, sell you for a good deal. Yeah, because the fucking bank ain't giving me a good deal. No? Well, it's not bad. I think it was... I've been switching... Yeah, it's pretty good right now. I've been switching every payday. Yeah, I've been switching a little every payday, but it's creeping back up because I got 500 a couple weeks ago, and it was like six something 620 or something like that and then the last time i went i was already creeping back up i was hoping i was just gonna keep kind of creeping down right to my trip yeah i mean ideally just keep creeping down i mean no offense america but i'd like to be on par again makes it a whole lot easier for us to come to the states when our dollar's worth more than shit remember when we went to paradigm yeah but it sucks doing business in the states when when our dollar's that high yeah that's because they like to pay in their own u.s dollars and then it just Sucks for us. That's right. Anyways, this is from... But um, we're not doing business. We kind of are. We get donations in U.S. and it means less for us if the dollar's high. So that's not good. But then shouldn't our dollar go farther? Well, you, you'd hope. <laughs> <laughs> you'd hope, but I don't know if it always happens that <laughs> that's way. That's not the way Ex- it actually ex- works. Expenses still seem to be creeping up, you know? The funny thing is, I'm pretty sure PayPal gives you a better exchange rate than the fucking bank. I mean, I was looking for grass-fed butter, right? And I find it in this community food store, then one of the natural-type food stores. And it's like 12 or 13 bucks for butter, a pound of butter. Yeah, I don't even do organic butter. It's hard to find. Like, where's all the grass-fed butter? That's one of the things that I just... If I could find even grass-fed, yeah, grass-fed's hard to find. You get organic at the supermarket, but it's like twice as much for half the half the amount and we fucking like i go through butter what's what's because i don't live in the in the world that i think butter is bad for me. either do i so like i go through a stick of butter we go through a stick of butter in this household a at day? least a week no, uh, jesus christ well i who go goes, through who goes through a <laughs> stick of butter a day <laughs> well i go through about at least two or three sticks a week probably well a pound of butter almost a week yeah for me I'm on my own. Three pounds of butter a week? No, no, no. A little stick, not a stick. Like a oh, stick yeah. is a quarter of a pound. We do a pound of butter a week, probably. I do most of my cooking in butter or yeah. avocado oil. Now. Yeah, yeah. So what's the di- what's the difference between grass-fed butter then and real, or not real butter, just the normal butter you buy in the store that you can get plenty of? Is oh, it is sure. it the grass-fed butter is, is it way just better. Because it's coming from the cows that haven't been up full of all the crap? Yeah, probably. Is that what it is? Yeah. It doesn't probably. have all the antibiotics and shit like that? Or yeah, it might, it might, but not yeah, as... Yeah, it's probably... It's not from... I wonder the, if you could just churn your own butter. 
Somebody in the chat room sent a picture of butter from the States. It says, if you ever see this, you got to buy it. And it was like... Ooh, it's almost honey season again. Ponzi will be sending us some honey. It was made by the Amish people. Really? They turn their own butter. So that's apparently the stuff to look for down south. On the Dukabors over... You should look for it when you go down on your trip for the eclipse. Get some real Amish butter. Amish? Can you bring it over the border? (laughs) Do I have to declare it? I don't think you're allowed to bring butter over the border. Really? Yeah, it's one of those, like, you know, no fruits or vegetables or butter. I've never heard them say that. <laughs> you've, I'm going to ask them say, the way down. No fruits and vegetables. You can't yeah, bring... you can't bring fruits and vegetables. I know that. But butter's neither of those things. And you can't bring pot, which is ridiculous. Even if you're going from illegal to illegal. Illegal or illegal? Illegal. Yeah. One day. One day. I'm, I'm not sure. convinced. No. You can't even travel with booze really yet, you know? Well, yeah, you can. You just got to tell them you have it. And, you, you and there's a limited amount. Yeah, there's a limited amount. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Okay, so let's get back to this. This is from Corpus Christi, Texas. Marcus. Mr. Dunlop. Greetings. I'm writing to you with regards to you and your co-host solicitations via the 231st publicly released episodes not considering bonus content from the podcast show titled Grimerica, not your grandparents paranormal conspiracy podcast. I'm a fanatic of said show, which from henceforth will be regarded to simply as the show (laughs) during episodes of the show. You and Mr. Grimes have brought wondrous and luxurious entertainment to me, particularly when Mr. Grimes pokes fun towards you in a playful sarcastic yet lighthearted way and you both engaged in banter and behavior where he off not but sometimes indeed does toe the line so to speak quite frankly i seem to pick up on your building irritation when there is another person usually the frequent collaborator i know only as james (laughs) James. to team up against you (laughs) usually having you the victim of their demeanor but alas It seems to be all good-natured fun between genuine friends, including what seems to be inside jokes or the like. I find this in great fun and sometimes find myself laughing out loud, to the dismay or confusion of others around who have no clue as to what audible joy is flowing through my headphones. Anyways, I hate to drag on, so I will get to the point. I have no synchronicity tales to regale you with, no trip reports, jingles, or melodies. No sightings of otherworldly aerial vehicles or anything of that sort, nor do I have any additional funds at the moment to support the show from a financial standpoint. But I'm simply letting you know that in the very near future, I will become a monetary... Oh, no. Would you cut it? Yeah, it's, it's one of those. I will become a monetary sponsor of the show and indeed wish to fulfill and deliver what I consider to be relevant information and personal anecdotes that other listeners, perhaps even you, Graham, if I may recall by your given name in this non-formal, usually accepted code of social interaction, with the deepest hope that I have used the correct spelling of, and if not, please accept my deepest sympathies for offending you, and know that I will stand honorably corrected if wrong. Enjoy and appreciate. Appreciate. I appreciate the time you spend reading this casual message and have sent to you and please give my regards 
to Mr. Dunlop, and please accept my best regards to you personally, Graham. Goodbye for now, with hopes that this message will arrive promptly and assuredly. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Did he did he send a letter to Graham and Mr. Dunlop? No, he meant I think he meant please give my regards to Mr. Grimes at the end. Yeah. Or Mr. Dunlop. Mr. Dunlop. Aging Mr. Dunlop. That was a good letter. Yeah. That was really cool. Well written. Yeah. Should be a blogger. Yeah. Oh well we haven't even talked about that in a while. No, we haven't. The chat. So we have the chats going on and the blog. Bloggers, uh bloggers are blogging. Are they? You can. You can still blog. You can still blog. You just have to email me. And if you have a blog, you can still blog too. Actually, Nap's been fucking knocking out of the park with the uh, Boss Breads lately. Yeah. He's back on almost weekly. Yeah, and our new website will probably separate out the blogs and the podcast a little bit. But and the yeah. app gives us the option to put in corporate blogs too. I like the meditation blogs that, um, what's his name, has been doing as well. Yeah, we got to find a way to clean all that up. I don't know how, I don't know where all this time's going to come from. Because <laughs> um, the app's going to come out too, and then. You just recreate, reclaim your time, Darren. How? Reclaim your time. Well, then I got to quit my job. <laughs> then I'm going to get. No, that was, a, that was a, a, a jest from something that happened in the U.S. politics recently. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming oh, yeah, my time. Yeah. <laughs> Maxine? Yeah. Maxine Water. <laughs> Anything else? That's it, buddy. Right on, guys. Enjoy the chat. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to this one myself because I don't know. It's oh, yeah, right. This was too. fun with Dr. Kobaba. Oh, about, we should uh, say big thanks to uh, Nathan Bryson. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for holding the fort show. down, holding the igloo down while Darren was away, busy. Yeah. yeah. And hey, uh, we, talk, we talk about... Um, uh, stories from doctors and physicians that they don't normally talk about. So it was like uh, really cool inside uh, stuff from, from doctors. Inside baseball. Yeah. Really good. Right on. Enjoy. That reminds me. Uh, I wanted to ask about, because uh, we got Nathan's out in New Zealand. So we were wondering how many listeners we actually have in New Zealand. I think it's somewhere in the like four or 500 range. Oh, wow. Cool. But I'd like to know uh, if we've got some people in New Zealand, maybe we've got a little meetup going. Right on. I was talking to actually Jared Drake the other day, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Big shout out to the Kiwis. we got to go down there one day. I know. I think I'd really like to enjoy it down there yeah, me for too. a couple of weeks. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat. And uh, have See fun. you next week. No, no. It's at the end of the show, you son of a bitch.
right. Tonight we've got Dr. Scott Cobalba with us, and he's got a new book out called Miraculous. Uh, it's Physicians' Untold Stories, as miraculous experiences doctors are hesitant to share with their patients or anyone. Now, I've really uh, been interested in this because, you know, I've thought about this a lot. Like, what the, you know, thinking about the doctors and all the near, looking into all these near-death experiences and miraculous healings, like, that's a common topic on this show. And I've always always wondered, like, what about the doctors? Where are they in this whole thing? Yeah. So, really interesting to get your book and talk about this. And, and we, uh, as I mentioned, we've got uh, Nathan from New Zealand here. He's going to be in town for only another few days, and he's heading back to New Zealand. And he's in here pinch-hinting for Darren tonight. So, thanks, Nathan, for yeah. helping. Yeah, you're welcome. Yep. So yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Scott. Um, I don't know. I guess the, the whole the whole story about how this book came about is interesting in itself. Um, probably could start there. I mean, the, all the you know divine coincidences that happened, and um, yeah, it's a very interesting story. Thanks for thanks for having me on your show, Graham. Um, you know, I'm I'm a doc. I've been a doc for about over thirty years, and I don't. I haven't been writing books in the past. I've not written anything. As a matter of fact, I'm busy enough as a doctor. I don't even get a chance to read very much. Yeah. But there were some funny things that started happening to me, and it got me thinking about if other doctors had these experiences. And so about the same time, a whole bunch of things came together. I had two doctors come to me with, with some unusual stories. And after they started telling me their stories, I thought, I wonder if I should do something with this. I wonder if I should write a book or write a, a couple of stories to, down or something. And the first one was was a little strange. Uh, Dave Mokel, who's an orthopedic surgeon, came up to me on the floor of the hospital. I was just writing orders or something, and he literally ran up to me, grabbed me by the arm and said, Scott, I've got to tell you this incredible story. And I said, well, go ahead. And he said, well, I can't tell it till you hear. <laughs> I said, well, why not? He said, well, someone might hear me. So I said, okay. We went to an empty patient room. He closed the door and he said, I, you know, this mutual patient, Mary, uh, we operated on a few weeks ago and she arrested on the table. And I knew, I knew that. And, and um, she, had, um, she was having a, a ankle surgery. It was a simple surgery. She arrested because she was given an antibiotic that she had an anaphylactic reaction to, a, a, a serious allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty much flatlined. No pulse, no respirations, no response to pain. She was basically dead. And he, they started to do CPR, and one of the guys that was doing CPR had unusually red hair underneath his his, uh, his ER cap, or his OR, OR cap, I should say. And he wasn't doing adequate uh, compressions. There wasn't a pulse. Dr. Mokel couldn't get a pulse. So he said, please step aside. And when the fellow wouldn't step aside, he finally just gave him a push and pushed him aside because this is a life-and-death situation. Dr. Yeah. Mokel was in charge, and he had to make sure that things were done right. And after he started to do CPR, the... Um, the drugs that they were giving and everything started to to, to work and and she she came back she wasn't awake though until the next day but she came back her heart started and and uh, she she lived and the interesting thing is when she was about ready to go home a couple of days later after the cardiologist had taken care of her she said to dr mokel who was giving her the final instructions for home going she said thank you for saving my life and dr mokel is a pretty humble kind of a guy and he said no it was just a team effort we all pitched in she said no 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 <laughs> I saw you push that guy with the red hair aside and then start doing my CPR, and that's when I started to come back. Wow. And Dr. Dr. Mokel then, who's a very conservative, ordinary kind of a doc that's very scientific, got some weak knees, sat down, and, and he said, well, what do you mean? And she said, when I arrested, I rose up to the top of the room in the OR, and I was able to watch everything that happened. I watched you page Dr. Kobaba, and he did. I watched you look at the door multiple times, 
waiting for me to come. I wasn't in the hospital, so I didn't show up. And she mentioned many, many little minutiae of, of details of that arrest that no one would have known except those that had been right there at the time. And Dr. Mokul's going in his, in his mind, what, how, how, did, how did this happen? How can this, how can this be? And um, she said, when I, when I was doing that, my grandmother came to me, who was, who was dead now for many years, and told me there was a special place for me uh, in heaven if I would be a kind and un understanding and reasonable, honest person. And so uh, uh, Dr. Mokul, uh, again, was, was just taken aback. And, and uh, it's interesting that Mary, before the surgery, was kind of a curmudgeon. She was kind of a person that you didn't look forward to seeing in the office. She always had some complaint and some problem with what you're doing. But afterwards, she was the kindest and most considerate person in the world, and she was able to help out her widowed father and do all kinds of wonderful things, and everyone looked forward to seeing her from then on. So I said to Dr. Mokul, you know, who did you tell this story to, Dave? And he said, only my wife. I couldn't tell it to anyone else because they'd think I was crazy. And so after I heard that story, I began thinking about the couple stories, a couple things that happened to me just be before this event that were also a little bit on the edge of, of reality. And I decided then to, uh, you know, every doctor has uh, patients that are, that are in every profession you can imagine, uh, probably even the oldest profession, I suppose. But I had a, a, publish, uh, a publisher that was in my practice, and I called him up and I said, uh, his name was, first name was Scott, and I said, Scott, I wonder if you could listen to a couple stories that I've picked up to see if you think they might have some value for, for uh, maybe writing a book or at least a couple stories for a magazine or something. So he said, sure. So we went out to have lunch one day and we were eating and I was really hungry. So I didn't look up after I, I mentioned a couple stories to him. And when I finally looked up, he was sitting there, his, he, his fork was down, he wasn't eating and tears were in his eyes. Wow. And so I, I got kind of choked up myself and I realized that some of these stories really had some powerful meaning to them. And he said, you have to write a book on this. Mm -hmm. So that's when I launched into my uh, writing, my writing career. And um, uh, then I started asking other docs for their stories. And I was amazed at the number of stories that docs have that they, doctors don't talk about these things. I don't think you've probably ever heard a doctor talk about a, a, a ghost experience or a, no. any kind of a, a, a strange uh, premonition or something or a dream. Uh, because I think they're afraid that people will think they're crazy. That's what Dr. Mogul did. And I was delighted that they all let me publish their names and their stories, uh, virtually everyone that I talked with. So that was I was very pleased about that. So that's how the book came about. Yeah, what an interesting NDE, too, because, uh, you know, it's not something it's very ab abnormal, right? I mean, when would a doctor push somebody else aside in, in a room? So it's a great example of, you know, I love these NDE examples where, you know, you can't, there's no skeptical answer. There's no, like, materialistic answer to that, right? It had to be, like, she was... She was watching. It's not like she's going to make up all those details. Yeah, there were multiple details that she mentioned to Dr. Mokul that he didn't even mention that that she had to have been there to, to see those those uh, those details. And there was even some some sort of uh, coincidences that, that kept you in the medical field as well, right? Uh, well, there were. There, there's a, a number of coincidences that happened to me uh, actually before I got into the medical field. Um, the uh, yeah, I, I majored in uh, economics in college because I dropped out of uh, pre-med. And then after I graduated from college, I was delighted because I never liked school. And I was delighted that I'd, I'd never have to go to school again because I was in economics. I'd get a job and I'd, I'd indeed get a job. 
I hated the job. <laughs> I realized after about a year I needed to go back to medical school. So I needed to take organic chemistry. By this point, I had a family, and I had to support the family. So uh, the one course I was missing was organic chemistry. And it was wonderful, because, and, and I decided that if I didn't get into organic chemistry, I'd have to drop the whole plan because I, I needed to start supporting my family and, and getting on with life. So I had one year to, to, to get my prerequisites all done, and, and there were two schools I was working during the day. There were two schools that offered organic chemistry at night. One was Aurora University, which is where I was working, which is perfect. The other one was Roosevelt uh, downtown in Chicago, which was 70 miles from my home. So I obviously picked Aurora. Uh, went there. I went to get the books in the bookstore. There were tons of books in the bookstore falling off three shelves. And I went to the first class, and there were only three students in the class. And I thought, this is great. I'll be able to get personal attention. Well, what happened was the professor walked in. He said, I'm sorry, we're canceling the class. There aren't enough students. <laughs> So I was devastated. My, my, I, I could see my career go out the window. I'd never be a doctor again. And then I realized I can just go down to Roosevelt and enroll at Roosevelt University. So the next morning, I made some lame excuse for my boss, and I said, I'm going to do something. And I, I zipped down to Roosevelt, waited in line for the registrar, and I said, uh, when I got to the front of the line, I'd like to enroll in organic chemistry. You see, I'm a, I, 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 I need to do this to, to become a success in life. I want to become a doctor and so forth. And she said, well... I'm sorry, we have one full class. We opened up a second class, which is now full, and we have about 10 students on the waiting list. And I said to her, well, you don't understand. If I don't do this, I'll be a failure in life, and so forth and so on. And she said, I'm sorry, everyone that's in the waiting list has the same story that you do. They want to become a, uh, go to a professional school, and uh, we can't accommodate them. I'm sorry. And I said, well, who can make that decision? Who, can make the de who makes the final decision about who gets in the class and who doesn't? And she said, well, it's the professor teaching the class. And I said, where can I get to the, find the professor? And she said, well, the third floor. So I ran up to the third floor. There was a, a waiting room of students, I think, with the same idea that I had, wanting to talk with the professor. I must have looked like a sad sack to the receptionist at the time. And she said, okay, if you just take a, I just, I, I need just a minute to talk with the professor. And she said, if you just take a minute, you can go wait in the ante room. The two professors that are teaching the class are discussing what they're going to be doing for, for tomorrow's class. So I went and waited in the ante room, which is just outside the, the door where they were talking. And I could the door was paper thin. I could hear exactly what they were saying. And the one professor was saying, I don't know what we're going to be doing. We have enough books for the first class, but for the second class, we have no books at all. We call the publisher. We check with all the schools in the area. No one has any organic chemistry books. And we're really up, up a tree because the class starts tomorrow and there are no books for the students. And this was before books were online. So I'm taking all this in and, and thinking about things. And then the two professors shook hands and the one left and the other one signaled for me to come in for just a minute. And he looked pretty bored and I explained to him that I was desperate to get into the class and so forth. And he finally said to me, you know, everyone out there is, has, has the same story. I'm very sorry, we just can't accommodate you. And so I, I, I saw my career and my life flashing in front of me and, and, and I realized this was a desperate situation calling for desperate measures. And so I said to him, if I can get you books, would you let me in the class? All of a sudden, his eyebrows went up. He started to pay some attention to me. And he waited for a little bit, and my heart was pounding in my chest about as hard as I can imagine because this is my life here in front of me. And he finally, after a long, the longest pause, said, can you get me 30? And my heart was now up in my neck. I said, more. And he looked at me, he looked at me, and he looked at me, and finally he said, you're in. <laughs> so, 
So I told them, uh, you know, where the books were at uh, Royal University. They called, they got the books, everything was great. And when you think about it, what are the what's the likelihood that I would be standing there right when they were talking about exactly what they needed, when only I could help them and only they could help me? The odds of that are infinitesimal. And I thought about this for a long time. Before I wrote the book, I thought it was just a coincidence. But that wasn't a coincidence. There was something that had that arranged me to, to be there at that very moment when they were talking about the books. Yeah. And only I could Yeah, that's funny. I was going to ask if, if, if you... If your your take on that, what happened to you, had changed since you started writing the book, or since you started hearing these stories, like did you know did did that bring more importance to that uh, experience? You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Before I just wrote it off as yeah, it was just lucky that I was there. Yeah. But after I, after I wrote the book and got all these stories from the doctors that, that there are some similar stories like that, I realized that somebody upstairs, uh, whatever you want to call it, some force or God or whatever whatever you believe, uh, was, was operating and, and was, I think, directing me to, to, to get this as a, get my wish as a career. And I think there are lots of doctors that have experienced this and probably many people. And one of the points in my book uh, that I hope to get out is that look for the coincidences in your life. Look for the little coincidences or the big ones. Right. And realize that there's something else going on that may not be coincidental. Someone may be directing your path for the good. And uh, it happens all the time. Mm. Yeah, it does. We we talk about synchronicities all the time on the show, and a lot of our guests and sometimes authors, and they've had major moments of like synchronicities in their life that have actually propelled them on the path to whatever creative endeavor they're on. You know, and they end up on the show. They end up talking about their work, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that stemmed from you know meaningful coincidences, or or more than just coincidences. Right. Steve Jobs has a nice, uh, when he talked at Stanford in 2005, I think he did a commencement address in 2005, he talked about that very thing, how when he went to school, he dropped out of school, out of college, and then he was able to attend the classes that he thought would be fun to attend, like calligraphy and types, typing and so forth, uh-huh, yeah. where in, in 10 years, he never realized that in 10 years, those classes would be incredibly valuable for designing the type and the font and so forth of, of the Apple computer. And he realized that 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 was he, he that was on purpose. There was something directing him, and he wasn't sure what it was. But he said that, that very thing also. So uh, I think it happens to lots of us. Yeah, definitely happens to me. I, I I've always felt throughout my life that uh, things have happened and taken place, and I just feel like there's sort of like a uh, I guess you could say a divine presence just protecting me and assisting me on the path of where I'm going. And I, I don't know what or, you know, who maybe that is, but I just get the sense that I'm just surrounded by something that's just, um, yeah, just moving with me where I'm going in my journey. And I think we can almost count on that, helping us get through a project or get through something that we really uh, have a passion about right. that will help others or help our career or, or uh, you know, do some good in the world. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess what what was the process then after you decided to um, to sort of write something or, or or do something with these first couple stories? How did that How did that then uh, t- turn into the book? Well, then I needed to get some stories, and so I know lots of the doctors. I've been around for a long time, and we have about a thousand doctors on our medical staff. So, wow. what I would do would be to hang out in the doctor's lounge. Now, the doctor's lounge is a great place for attracting doctors because it has all the kinds of things that doctors like, coffee, donuts, uh, chips, uh, and so forth. 
and some good things like apples and bananas and so <laughs> forth. I'd hang out there in the morning, and the first thing in the morning, I'd get there about 6 o'clock in the morning, and I would pounce on every doctor that came in that I knew, and I would say, uh, do you have a story that, that I can – I'm writing a book. So I committed myself to writing a book. That was the first thing I because I, I knew if I committed myself to enough people, I'd be so embarrassed if I didn't. Right, right. <laughs> I, I this kind of served as an incentive for me to keep on going because uh, the times get tough sometimes when you're writing a book and all the hassles that you have to go through. So anyway, I would I would sit there and then I'd talk with a doctor and I'd say, do you have any stories for me? And, and some of the doctors knew what I was talking about and, and many didn't. So I would generally tell them a brief story and, and they'd say, oh, yeah, well, let me think about it. And if the doctor said, let me think about it, they never came back with a story. But the doctors that had a story, and there were quite a few, knew that story right off the top. They, they could say, I've got a story for you, and let me tell you. So they'd tell it to me briefly. I'd say, well, let me get your phone number. Let me call you tonight or some night this week, and we'd, we'd chat about it. And we'd, I'd get the whole story down, and then I'd start writing. And we'd go back and forth a dozen times or half a dozen times, uh, you know, correcting the story and making sure it's perfectly right. And um, after about three or four weeks, I'd, I'd have a, a story. And um, I got lots and lots of stories, but the ones I liked – the ones I wanted to use were stories that would that would either give me goosebumps. So when the doctor told me the story, I got goosebumps, or if it made me cry out of uh, sheer emotion, not so much sadness, but sheer emotion, I thought that's the story for the book. And those are the ones I included. There's 26 stories in the book uh, like that. And they're also, when I was talking to doctors, you know, you get doctors talk about gallbladders, they talk about the surgical schedule for the next day, they talk about their vacations, they never talk about spiritual things. They never talk about what really makes them tick. And I was able to get a lot of that information from the docs when I was talking to them about really what makes them tick. And I included a section of the book on what I learned about docs. And then I included a little biography uh, on, on each doctor. But the biography is really not a true biography. It's more of a story illustrating the doctor's life. And so I, I learned a lot about doctors and about what doctors don't talk about. And um, I, like I said, I included those those emotional stories in the in the book, and um, it was it was fun to do that. It was fun to write those stories. I I can remember a number of times I'm sitting at the keyboard on my on my computer, tears streaming down my face, thinking this is a great story. Uh, even even after I heard it a couple of times, it still brought that emotion to me. Yeah, what a great idea to do that. I noticed that in the back of the book, there's uh, you've got a little couple pages on each one. So did you yeah. did you notice any any trends or any similarities between all these all these doctors afterwards? Like, yes, yeah, there were there were definitely some similarities. One of the things I I mentioned about the doctors is I I call them this is a funny expression, but in the in the book I call them sappy do-gooders. That's the one common theme that wow. I think applied to most of the docs. Uh, I think they all have, were card carrying sappy do-gooders. They want to do some good in the world. They want to help people. They want to do some good. Everyone talks about doctors just being the golf course half the time, just wanting to make money, driving their Mercedes and so forth. But these doctors that I interviewed, and, and most doctors in general, I found, were really, really good people. Um, let me give you an example. There was a doc that I talked to about a, a little, we did some adoption work for a while, and I was talking to one of the cardiologists, um, Andy Rao is his name, he's a doctor uh, in one of the local hospitals. And we were talking about one of the little girls that was uh, up for adoption in an orphanage in Romania who had burned her feet because she was wearing plastic shoes and it was cold that night and she got too close to the space heater. 
and the shoes melted on her feet and they caused all kinds of burns. And I said to Andy, she'll, she'll never be adoptable because she can't walk and she may never walk, but then she'll need multiple uh, orthopedic surgeries and so forth. And, and so we finished that conversation, went our way. But a week later, he called me up and he said, uh, Scott, we've talk, I talked with my wife, we'd like to take her. I said, what do you mean? We'd like to adopt her. I said, Andy, she's, you don't even know anything about this girl. She's got burned feet. She could have all kinds of illnesses and so forth. And he said, we have the means to help her out. We have insurance. We can, we can get her operations. If this girl has a chance of having a normal life, we like to participate in that and, and give her a normal life. Wow. And I found that to be true for lots of the doctors. They, you know, they're all involved with some good cause, doing something uh, uh, interesting in the world that, that uh, may help out. And so, I, like I said, I call them sappy do-gooders, and that applies to, to many of them. They still had the same altruistic uh, feelings that they, they had when they first went into medicine. That's good to hear because I feel like doctors are getting a bad rap these days too yeah. about you know all the prescription problems mm-hmm. with prescription pills and all that and you know it's it's there's sort of a polarization happening with the medical community and all the different um, you know diseases we have and there's so much toxins out there and sure you know all yeah. the all the chronic stuff seems to be on the rise and yeah yeah. yeah. And all these doctors, uh, you know, each of them had a, a little interesting twist in their life of things they like to do. One doctor, for example, Rich Jorgensen, um, had developed an allergy to uh, the stuff that they use in the OR, the plastics and so forth. And every time he'd, he'd do an operation, he was a great surgeon, he would break out in a rash and become short of breath. So he had to give that up. And so he messed around with painting and a few other things and then decided to just still needed to contribute something. So he became coroner. He's now the coroner of DuPage County, and a coroner is is supposed to be involved with uh, the cause of death, of, of each death in DuPage County, whether it's an accident or homicide or whatever it is. And so that was his job. But he became so interested in one of the things that is an epidemic in DuPage County, that is heroin overdoses, that he decided to again be a sappy do-gooder and do some good in the world. And he organized, and he got some money from a number of doctors that contributed uh, and he organized a, a program to to equip all the paramedics, the police, and anyone that would go be a first responder to a, a potential disaster at a home with Narcan. Narcan's mm-hmm. antidote, heroin. Yeah. So a paramedic runs into a home and finds a young girl laying on the floor from an overdose. The first thing they do is give her a shot of, of Narcan. And if it's, uh, if it's been relatively recent overdose, they will wake up. And he, as a coroner, has saved a lot more lives than I have ever dreamed of saving. He's, he's saved over 100 lives in the last couple of years wow. just with the program. So, you know, talk about a sappy do-gooder. Here's a guy that's got a job as being a coroner dealing with death who is now saving lives. So that's – and again, most of the doctors have the same kinds of, of hopes and goals and feelings. Mm. That's great. So how, yeah. how do you guys – how do you reconcile this uh, – you know, the training and the scientific background in, in the Western medicine that you guys need and and this, uh, all these stories of divine intervention and, and you know, like, it w- I feel like I know, I know you're talking about people on the, you know, these doctors opening up on a personal level and it sounds like there's yeah. a, you know, a softer, more open-minded side to it, but it must be hard for some to reconcile these it differences. It is. These doctors are, and the doctors that I, I put in the book are very conservative doctors that you that, that are not, um, they're not exaggerating doctors. They're not uh, on, on the edge of, of uh, some crazy, crazy uh, things that they're doing in their lives. 
These are ordinary doctors that anyone would go to, they'd love to go to, and they're very scientific, they're scientific-based, they've been trained in science, they believe in the scientific method, but they have had experiences that they simply cannot explain, that, they have, that, that have been so powerful in their lives that they have, they have changed these doctors, um, uh, and each of them has been changed by an experience. Steve Heim, for example, is an orthopedic surgeon. He's a back surgeon, and he also is a trauma surgeon. He was skiing with his wife and his wife's sister in Colorado. They were going down a mountain when the blizzard hit, and they could hardly see anything in front of them. It was an unfamiliar mountain. They came to a patch of trees in the middle of the of this path. They had to go to the right or the left. Dr. Heim went to the right. The girls went to the left. They didn't. Dr. Heim didn't realize that until after about 10 seconds when he was had made that that turn and had then go, to go back through the woods. And He's an expert skier, was skiing through the woods in five feet of powder snow. Still the wind's blowing, the, the snow's coming down like crazy, the temperature's dropping. All of a sudden he had this feeling inside, this very eerie feeling, and everything became silent. The wind was blowing, the snow was coming down, but it was just silent around him. He could hear his breath, he could hear the crunch of the snow on his, from underneath his skis, and he stopped skiing. He had no idea why he stopped skiing. He knew the girls were waiting, and they were indeed waiting for him on the other side of this patch of trees. Mm-hmm. And so he's standing there not knowing what he's doing, and he took his skis off, and then he had this compulsion, like there was something that he was being called to do that had life and death implications. So he started climbing up the mountain in a, in a direction opposite from where he should have been going to meet up with the girls. And he's climbing and walking and climbing and walking, and all of a sudden he came to a, a big pine tree. There were lots of big pine trees there. And there was a there was a, a a well a well of snow which goes down to the base of the tree and then comes up like a big bowl, and he, and when he looked down into that well he knew why he was there. Underneath the tree there was a body covered with snow. Wow. No movement, no breathing, nothing. He brushed off the uh, the snow off the, the the skier's face. Obviously he had hit the tree and then had fallen into the into the well. And had he not bumped into him he wouldn't have been found probably until the spring. And um, he, he's a trauma surgeon, so even though he didn't notice any breathing, he reached down for his carotid artery to see if he had a pulse. And sure enough, he had a pulse. He was alive. So Dr. Heim went into the trauma mode because he's a trauma surgeon. What better person, you know, someone up there was selecting this trauma surgeon to, to run into a guy that only a trauma surgeon would be able to help in the way he did. And he basically did all the things. He brushed the snow, snow off. He covered him with his, his jackets. He put his head down and, and he went into all the modes that the trauma surgeon would do, even splinted his broken leg. In the meantime, he's calling for help, hoping that there's someone else coming down the mountain that can help him. Well, one of the last skiers down the mountain heard his cry for help, came to his side. He said, go call the ski patrol as soon as you can. So the skier took off and, and about 20 minutes later, there was a gurney behind a snowmobile coming up with the ski patrol. They loaded this unconscious hypothermic skier onto the, onto the gurney, took him down to the waiting ambulance by the lodge and they took him off to the hospital. Steve and uh, Dr. Heim uh, was shivering with cold because he realized how cold it was and, and quickly got his skis on and went back to where the girls were on the other side of the trees. They were actually still waiting for him. They skied down the mountain. The next day, he called the hospital to find out what happened to this hapless skier that was in shock the night before. And they realized that he, he, he survived. He lived, and he was doing great. And Dr. Heim literally saved his life. I said to Steve... Uh, you know, what did you think about that? He said, there's no question. He, as, as he said uh, to me, the man upstairs was looking out for this guy for whatever reason. And uh, he directed me right to, right to where he was. And that's what, what he believed. And he was, I think he was a changed, uh, Steve was changed after this. He, he realized without a 
question in his mind that there's something else that that's higher than us and that was his take on that yeah that's incredible so, yeah i it almost sounds like too um there's moments like that when sometimes we just really get um in touch with our intuition and it uh it just has profound uh, effects on our lives and it can, yeah, even um, assist with us helping other people. And it just really challenges a lot of our uh, outlooks on our own lives. And I guess, you know, in the field of science and other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah it, it, it can't be just a coincidence that he was just, he, it's not like he, you know, skied right by the guy. It's all those other little things that happened, right? The silence and the stopping and the right. something telling him to go back up the other way. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I, in talking with the docs, this, this premonition that he had was so strong, he just couldn't ignore it. He just had to do this. But there are times I'm convinced when we get little premonitions of things. Mm-hmm. And one of the purposes of my book is to have us pay attention to those little premonitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that the little things that come to us and we think, well, you know, should I, you, you get an idea, you see a stranger on the, on the street and you think, oh, there's a little voice in the back of your head. I, I should go up to him and ask him if he needs some help or something. And, and oh, no, no, that would be, I'd, I'd be embarrassed. But one of the purposes of my book is to have people realize that listen to those little premonitions, those little thoughts, yeah. because many times there's really something to that and, and listen to that and, and that will, that will serve you well. Many of the doctors had told me stories about episodes when they had seen a patient, they'd come up with a diagnosis and so forth, and, and, and then there was a little naggy thing in the back of their head. My partner, John Bourne, for example, will, will tell a story about this. He saw a guy as a pre-op uh, for a, a total joint surgery, cleared him for surgery, everything was okay, and he had this naggy thing in the back of his head. I need to get this guy, I need to call him up and, and maybe do a stress test on him. And he kept thinking about that, and he finally just caved in and called the guy up and said, listen, I, I, I know I cleared you for surgery, but you need to stress test. And the guy resisted a little bit, but finally caved in also and, and decided to go ahead and do that. Well, thank goodness he did. He, he failed the stress test badly. He needed a triple bypass before his surgery. Had he gone to surgery, he might have died because of his severe coronary disease. Wow. So the, the point is, I think we all have, I'm sure, some strong premonitions but then there's some of these little naggy things that I think are worth listening to. And that's, one of the, again, one of the purposes of the book, to have people realize that there's something like that out there. Yeah, that's great. Listen. Well, and there's a deeper spiritual meaning to that as well, because if you're not present and if you don't have awareness, like you can't, you can't notice those things, right? Like if you walk around, you know, distracted all day long, just in your head, uh, you just, you're not going to notice any of that. So that noticing that, you know, you need, I think you, you know, it helps to become somewhat mindful you know, of your thoughts and of your surroundings and, and, you know, then you can start uh, picking up on that, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to kind of believe that there is something like that that happens too. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to listen to those things either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a really good example. So does any, I mean, being in the medical community and and going through all this, like, does this open you guys up and, and just doctors in general like all these conversations to maybe alternate ways of, um, of healing and alternate, um, you know, different types of, of medicine or healing, like whether it's like shamanism or energy healing or anything like that. Cause I mean, I, I can imagine you guys, not you guys specifically, but doctors getting stuck in their, in their paradigm. And there's so much, you know, there is a lot of backlash from the, the materialists and the skeptics about all this kind of, you know, diff, different type of stuff. Did that come up at all? 
You know, a little bit, but I think most most doctors still believe in the conventional Western medicine. And um, I think these experiences open them up to realize that they, uh, they and others may get a little help uh, from from an unseen hand that that uh, guides them through their day. So mm. I think they're they're still pretty traditional. Yeah. But uh, they'll 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 listen and and uh, I I for example had an experience from a guy that uh, one of my patients that went to Arkansas and called me from Arkansas with abdominal pain and and it was right upper quadrant. That's exactly where the gallbladder is. And I wanted to say go to the emergency room and and be checked out. Sounds like you got a gallbladder attack. And sure enough, he did and. They called me from the ER and said, uh, Taylor uh, is here. We did the gallbladder ultrasound. We did all the blood tests. It's, we gave him a shot of Demerol. He's perfectly fine now. So we think it may be gallbladder, but we're not sure. And we're going to send him back to you uh, when he gets home and, and take a look at him and see what you think. So a couple of days later, he came back uh, to the Chicagoland area. And I saw him in the office. And sure enough, he indeed still had the right upper quadrant, right upper abdominal uh, pain. And it's, it came on after eating. It sounded just like gallbladder. And I said, well, you, you know, maybe they didn't do the right test or something. So we did some fancier gallbladder tests and fancier uh, scans of his gallbladder. And everything came back normal. And I was really in a quandary as to what to do with him. Because whenever you have a case that is, he's clearly suffering. And I, I couldn't figure it out. So one morning, a couple of days later, I woke up. And I, I, I just had this, this feeling that he needed a lung scan. Now, that didn't make any sense because this was abdominal pain and not lung pain, but I just couldn't get that feeling out of my mind. And so I, I called him up about 7 o'clock in the morning. I said, Taylor, I, I've had this this feeling that you needed to have a lung scan. I don't know why. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, maybe there's something going on that I'm not uh, uh, that, that we don't know about. And would you could you do it today? And he said, well, no, I can't. I'm flying out to Denver this afternoon, so I've got I've to get ready and so forth. And so... I, I had that really uncomfortable feeling then, and I said, "Well, maybe if I can get the test in first thing this morning, you can still have time to fly out. Would you would you do that?" And he thought for a long time. There was a long pause on the phone, and he finally said, "Okay, I can do it." So I called the radiology department, got them arranged. They said, "Go ahead, just send them over. We'll do them. We'll squeeze them in." So about two hours later, I got a phone call from the radiologist that was reading the films, and he said, "Good call, Scott." And I said, "Well, why?" And he said, "Well." He's got a massive pulmonary embolus, a blood clot in his lung that's resting on the diaphragm on his right side. That's why he has abdominal pain and not chest pain. Had he flown out today, he probably would have died because he would have had another clot. So we put him in the hospital right away. We discovered he had a hereditary clotting disorder that caused him to have blood clots. So he would have had, for, for sure, certain at some point, uh, more blood clots, and that probably would have taken his life. So that little naggy feeling in, in the back of my head I listened to, you can't listen to everything, but I, that was just strong enough that I, I felt I had to do something. And that's one of the stories that one of the first stories that got me going and ended this book also. And thank goodness I did, because uh, I think it did save his life. Yeah, that's amazing. So so you, you organized the book into um, different sections, right? Like there's death in the afterlife, divine intervention, healing and uh, and prayer. Yeah. So yeah. did you. Want to talk about how you decided um, to do that? You know, when you write a book like this, what, what what I did was just collect stories. I collected a bunch of stories, and they seemed to fall into different categories. Right. And there were some some great stories on on uh, healing, some great stories on prayer, and we decided then, well, you know, you have an editor when you write a book. I I wasn't, I've never done this before. You have an editor. You actually have about two or three editors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you get done with the whole thing. 
and they advise you as to what what you what you should probably do. And they suggest that I put these in in different sections. So, I those are the sections with the stories, and then there's another section, as I mentioned before, with with what I learned about doctors and and the characteristics of doctors, and then the bios are, are at the end. So that's that's uh, that's how I organized it, and it seems to work pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So so with the death and the afterlife, then did you? You know, did you, do you believe in the afterlife? Does, did this change your mind about the afterlife? Is there, are these stories, uh, did it, will it, will they show people that there's a possibility of something like that? I, you know, I've always wondered about that with NDEs and with, uh, with, uh, past life communications and all kinds of, um, stuff like that. But I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah. There were lots of stories that I got that we're dealing with that uh, people that had that passed away, that had uh, gone uh, the other side, and and um, uh, it really it, it it didn't change my my perspective, but what the what the book did to, for me, and I think for the doctors that experienced these sto- these experiences, uh, was that it, it gave me a, a stronger sense that that there is something out there, and that there is an afterlife, and that people that have gone before us, especially loved ones, mm-hmm. uh, can can really look out for us and 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 come back and and help us in, in some some cases. I had a personal experience. For example, um, I was we were vacationing in Cape Cod. Now I I'm a I'm a great vacationer. I I live for vacations. And what I like to do is take my whole family. I've got seven kids. I'm not sure where they all came from, but I've got seven kids and they've got grandkids. And we take everyone for a vacation almost every year. And this one particular year, we were in Cape Cod, and we love it. We love it there. It's just a wonderful place for everyone. We love the food and the ambience and the beaches and everything. And we were having a, a dinner one night, uh, and it was a perfect day. It was just the kind of a day that you wanted to pinch yourself. It was just such a great day, and the sun was setting, and the food was great, and everyone was the little kids were playing, and the wives were talking, and the guys were laughing, and, and the guys were cooking that night. And when we went out to get the food uh, just a few hours before we happened to get a bunch of pies or we got five pies because there were that many of us I think there were about 20 there and they were cherry pies and and we got to talking when we were checking out of the food store about how my mother used to make these incredible rhubarb pies and we'd go to her house when we I, after I'd left home and there's be a, there was a big rhubarb plant in the backyard she'd pick all the stalks and make it into this really really sweet rhubarb pie and we'd we'd descend on the kitchen, and we'd we'd sneak in there with uh, spoons in hand and eat right out of the, the pot, you know. And every, everyone, no sanitary, uh, there's no sanitation at all. Everyone would just take their spoon and 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 dig into the pie, and we'd finish it off. Mm. And we 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 started talking about how if grandmother, my my mother had died before this, and we talked about how if she was here in Cape Cod, she'd she'd make us rhubarb pie because that was our favorite pie in all the world. And so we finished our dinner, and my wife served us the cherry pie, and I, I took a bite of the cherry pie, and all of a sudden I got goosebumps and chills up and down my back. It wasn't a cherry pie. It was rhubarb. <laughs> the box said cherry. Uh, everything about it said cherry, and but the, clearly a very sweet rhubarb pie. And the only explanation I have, uh, you can make a scientific explanation that sometime in the uh, factory where they make the pies, they had a rhubarb pie that they stuck into the cherry box or something. Mm. But I, there was something more to that. I think my mother was sharing a special moment with us, the whole family that night, a special Cape Cod vacation. Wow. I've got, I've got a personal story, too. I had um, I had problems with drugs and alcohol about, uh, you know, through throughout uh, the last part of my life there about 10 years ago. 
I was at sort of like the bottom, right? And um, but I hid it. I hid it from everybody. And at the time, I, there was this one night where I went out, and my girlfriend at the time she knew there was something wrong with me, and she took my dad's picture down off the off the bookshelf, mm-hmm. and prayed to him and said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with Graham, but I think he needs help, and you know, if there's anything you can do. And that night is the night that my whole like facade, my whole thing crumbled down. She found out about everything. I had done a whole bunch of things out of character and basically ended up surrendering that, like that morning after that. It was, it was, you know, that was like my divine intervention into like sobriety. And from, Mm -hmm. from after that, after like, you know, surrendering there, I've been clean and sober ever since. And I'm sure my dad had some sort of weird part in it. You know, lots of people have had those experiences. And it's funny when I tell people stories, I love to tell these crazy stories to my patients and I'm always late in the office because I'm telling stories half the time. But when you tell those kinds of stories that, that uh, they're really true stories, almost everyone, virtually everyone that I've run into either has a family story or a personal story about something like that that, that happened to them. And uh, it's fun It's fun to get those stories. And it's fun to have people realize that these really are spiritual stories and not just a coincidence or something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's that's been a, a fun part of, of the book and, and a fun part when people write in about what they experienced, you know, from reading the book and, and brought out some of their experiences that they thought were, were nothing or a coincidence. And, and they really were some a divine hand. Right. The story I told you about Steve Heim skiing down the mountain with the rescuing the, the, the guy underneath the tree mm-hmm. is another corollary to that that I didn't mention. And that was. Uh, about two years before that, Steve was skiing, Dr. Heim was skiing with his father, and his father arrested on the, on the uh, trail. And Steve grabbed him and, and lifted him and took him to the uh, nearest uh, first aid station where there was actually a, a, a physician, a, a ER physician there. And they did CPR on him for about an hour and, and never got him going. He died. And Steve felt guilty uh, ever since then because he's used to, as an orthopedic surgeon, used to saving lives and, and helping people and not losing lives. And so he felt personally guilty that he couldn't save his father. And so he told me when he saved this individual under the tree, he thought that his dad was giving him uh, the second chance. And so after that, he, his, he, his guilt went away. He realized that everyone has a life and a death and that it was his father's time and it wasn't his, it wasn't his fault that, that his father died. And so he said to me, there were two people that were saved that day, the person under the tree and my, my own life which was a very touching story. Wow. Yeah. So he thought his dad was participating in that. Wow. Yeah, I think it's just fantastic that you've put this together with all the physicians, right? Because they're really a, they're really a group of people that, um, you know, society doesn't want to hear this type of thing from. So, you know, or supposedly, right? So it's good that you, you know, you've got this out there. So has the, has the response been pretty, pretty positive so far? It, it's been very positive. I was actually shocked. It was. It's been so positive. I, what I expected was a lot of criticism. I expected some of the doctors to be chastised and and ostracized yeah. Yeah. because they had these crazy experiences and dreams and so forth. And you know that just hasn't happened. It's just been the opposite. Wow. And I'm I'm very surprised. I think the reason that it is it has to have happened that way is because people have their own stories like this. And they're they're delighted that that these courageous doctors have come out and ex- expressed their uh, and told their stories, so that it's, it gives them permission. It's okay for them to tell 
the, the, their patients, uh, their, their stories. And so none, none of the doctors that I'm aware of has been criticized. Uh, they've been treated like uh, heroes. And when we launched the book in September, it was interesting. We had a bunch of the doctors that were the authors uh, at the launch, and it was like they were celebrities, and they they uh, they had a grand time. Uh, and so I I I was just I was very surprised that there's been very little, if any, criticism, and just praise for bringing out some of the stories that everyone experiences or everyone can experience. Yeah, I feel like. Um these kinds of stories, these kinds of experience that these uh, doctors have, I, I just feel like uh, lots of people w- want to hear from um, from them in these particular circumstances, um, and 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 it makes people feel comfortable that uh, you know they can share um, these kinds of stories, and that way um, you know it can sort of uh, maybe put to, um, put more of a peace over certain people you know, in regards to the medical field in, in some ways. Especially if it's coming yeah. from the doctors too, right? Mm. Like for people to make people comfortable about opening them up, yeah. up from their own stories. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's done a number of things. I think it's kept, it's, it's helped people realize that, that, that uh, their stories are valid too, and they can express their stories without criticism. I think it's made people realize, uh, begin to look for things that happen to them that are, that they thought were, were coincidental or strange and, and, and maybe really are, are divine coincidences. And um, I think it's allowed uh, patients and doctors to communicate better together. And uh, uh, it's, it's been a real positive experience, I think, for everyone involved. And I, the letters I get also are those of hope. And, and people say to me, I lost my mother or I had this, this, this bad uh, diagnosis or whatever. And they say, this book has given me hope that there's something else out there, that there's something that loves us unconditionally, that looks out for us and helps us through our day in strange and wonderful ways. And that people that have gone beyond still may be uh, available to listen to us and to, to actually may may help us in, in interesting ways. So I think it's given people a lot of hope. And, and that's, what I was, that's what I was hoping would happen from the book. Yeah. Are there any other stories that stand out for you that you would uh, want the listeners to hear about? Oh, there's lots of stories. Um, let's see. I think one of my favorites is um, uh, Grandma Hanlon is one of my favorites. Uh, Grandma Hanlon was a midwife, and uh, she was the grandmother of Joan Heitzler. Jack Heitzler is a gynecologist, and he actually delivered uh, two of our, ba- our our kids. And uh, they, uh, the kids are still walking and talking. Uh, and so uh, Joan Heitzler was delivering their fifth child, and Dr. Heitzler was in attendance, but his partner was doing the delivery. And um, she um, was having a lot of pain. Uh, and and um, Grandma Hanlon, by the way, was a midwife. She'd worked as a midwife and was actually a spiritual leader for the family. She would deliver babies, and if the family couldn't afford the, the delivery cost or whatever, or, or having a or stay with their with their family for a couple of weeks to help with the baby, she wouldn't uh, take any money, and so uh, she was uh, she was very very altruistic and and quite a quite a leader in the family. When Grandma Hanlon got older, she began uh, she decided to live with Joan Heitzler's uh, mother, and so they lived in their house. And when Joan was a little girl, she used to say, "If I can get to Grandma Hanlon's lap, I know my my mom won't get to me, and and she won't punish me for whatever she did that was bad." And so um, when uh, Joan was delivering the baby after the baby was born, they had to do an exploration of the uterus to, to check and see if there were any 
the remains of the placenta and so forth. So they were doing that, and that was very painful for Joan, so they decided to give her a, a drug uh, called Trilene, which is uh, administered by masks. So they were going to put a mask over Joan's face, give her Trilene, it would make her unconscious, and they'd be able to do the exploration after that. Well, uh, in walks Grandma Hanlon with her uh, typical polka dot little dress, her white sweater vest, her hair up in the bun, her white hair in the bun, little old lady shoes, and she stood at the foot of the bed. Uh, because she was a midwife, she knew what was going on, and she shook her head that Joan shouldn't take the trilene. So Joan pushed the mask away. No one realized that uh, just before Joan went into labor, she had a large meal. And about a minute after she pushed the mask aside, she vomited that entire meal out. Oh. And she had the mask on. You could imagine what would have happened. She had aspirated and may have died from an aspiration. So Joan uh, said that uh, her comment was, I made it to Grandma Hanlon's lap one last time, <laughs> transcending time and eternity, because Grandma Hanlon had died 22 years before. Wow. That's a good one. That's one of my favorites. So... What what are your uh, I mean are, is your family prepared for uh, for you putting in the time for another book or what's going to happen after this? You know I'm I've got when I've done some some shows like this people have been been writing in so I'm I'm I've started a second book on um, oh, uh, you've already done, started so I've already started the book I got to some I've got some stories already and uh, there's some there's some great stories out there and these are the, uh, the next book's going to be doctors. Uh, I'm looking at a nursing book, mm. uh, a, um, a clergy book. I think would be. A, I think the clergy has a lot of great stories too. Yeah. And then we're negotiating. I signed a contract uh, to um, to do a um, television series. Oh, so wow. I don't know. Be starting filming uh, for that at some wow, point. Wow, good for you. That's great. Mm. So I think uh, that should that should get the word out on on uh, these stories and and to have people realize that there is some hope in the in this troubled world. Yeah. That's great. So, did you did you come across stories uh, with doctors and their patients and stuff like any any type of because um, that that's kind of what makes me think about this because we talk about NDEs and and you know out of body experiences and and miraculous healings and all this kind of stuff on the show and and I wonder you know if if doctors or nurses see that type of thing happening like people coming up for their last couple words that are relevant or shared death experiences with the family or you know miraculous healings where they were on their deathbed and then something miraculous happens have you come across any of those oh yeah that happens all the time that happens all the time <laughs> really uh, yeah uh, and the nurses actually the nurses are the ones in the ICUs to, to see this a lot where you didn't expect a person to live, or you've done CPR on a, on a person, and, and then you decide to call the code, and they're they're dead. And about five minutes later, they wake up, and and they say, oh, you know, what's going on? And then a couple of days later, they go home. So, those are those are things that that uh, we've all experienced. Are people that uh, have uh, I, I declared a person terminal uh, one time. I'll never forget. Uh, Carol was her name. She was really overweight, and uh, she had metastatic breast cancer, and her, her cancer was in her heart and around her heart, and the pericardium was in her liver and her lungs. It was everywhere. And we had her in the hospital. She'd failed all chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and everything, and the oncologist said, there's nothing more we can do. Let's just send her home and get, put her in hospice, and then we did. And I saw her back a month later, and she didn't look too bad. And I saw her back two months later, <laughs> she didn't look too bad. And the third month, she looked pretty good. And so we decided to get some tests to see what was going on with her. And we did some scans, and there was no sign of the tumor at all. She lived nine more years, finally died of, of her cancer, 
but the cancer just totally went away. And she was a very religious person. I don't know if, if that had anything to do with it or if it's just a happenstance or whatever, but but those kinds of things happen happen all the time and I, you just can't explain them. It could be divine, it could just be some quirk of, of the immune system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, so are those those type of stories you're putting in there as well or is it more yeah. personal stories of doctors? Some of those as well? Yeah, some of those yeah. th- those will go in this in the book. I tried not to. There are lots of miracle cures, and I thought some of those were were kind of boring in in general. Uh, these these miraculous cures. I I included one in the book. Yeah, yeah. About, about a lady that had MS that uh, was was basically dying. She was in hospice and was was on her death on her deathbed basically, and um, they had a, a radio show the week before that uh, solicits prayers for people in dire circumstances. And they put her name out and, and told her story and, and everyone prayed for her. And the one particular Sunday, the, the aunt came in uh, to her room and uh, they brought a big bag of mail of all people that had prayed for her and, and uh, so, you know, were, were, were wishing her the good luck and so forth. And while she was lying there and looking at some of the mail, she heard this voice and the voice said, uh, something like my child uh get up and get up and walk and she knew immediately that it was the voice of god she said this is the voice of god telling me to get up and sure enough she stood up she took off her braces she took out her tracheostomy uh oxygen uh she uh walked into the next room started the dance the to uh to the delight of her parents and um the next day, she decided, uh, and her muscles were restored. She was just back to pretty much a normal individual. Uh, all the, the stigmata of, of multiple sclerosis had gone. The next day, there was a church service at night in her church, and uh, she was late because she didn't have any clothes to wear. Her mother had given her all her clothes away because she, she would never wear her clothes again because she was basically dying. So she had to borrow a dress from the neighbor, and she finally w- went to the church service, and she was late. And, and uh, the minister was was uh, there talking, and and when when he saw her in the in the uh, foyer, he stopped talking. He, he couldn't say anything. He was just so so dumbfounded because she was in hospice. They didn't expect her to live the week, and so she strolled into the church, and everyone was whispering, "Is is that is that so and so? Is that uh, is that?" Um, uh, Barb Kaminsky and and uh, uh, and all of a sudden the whole congregation, uh, spo- as if led by a divine hand, started this to sing "Amazing Grace." Can you imagine a person who had been on their deathbed walking down the hallway of a church, the minister standing there unable to speak, and everyone singing "Amazing Grace"? That must have been a phenomenal, moving experience. Oh yeah. And she um, uh, the next day she went to see her her doctor, which is Dr. Marshall, who uh, from whom I got the story. And he couldn't find anything wrong with it. They took the tracheostomy tube out. They they took uh, some X-rays where she had a collapsed lung before. The, the lung was expanded. They, they couldn't find nothing wrong with her. And uh, Barb uh, decided to com- commit her life to to uh, helping others. And she and that was about 25 years ago. And she indeed has. I've spoken with her. She lives on the East Coast. She's married to a minister. She's involved with doing all kinds of good deeds and uh, indeed living up to her promise to to help. Uh, anyone she could uh, because of the gift that was given to her. So that was the one miracle cure that I, I put in the book. But generally, uh, amazing and miracle cures are not as interesting as some of these other uh, stories that I, I, I like to include. Yeah, that, I find that interesting. How come, how come you don't find them as interesting, I wonder? Is it because of your medical, 
you know, your training for decades and stuff that um, they, they just don't make sense to, like, you know, as, as far as like synchronicities, maybe are a little bit, or those divine coincidences are a little bit, I don't know, easy, easier yeah. to comprehend or something. Yeah, some, sometimes with with the miracle cures, you know, that you can you can explain them away by a revved up immune system or something like that, and, and it's a little harder to document that they truly are miracles. Although many are, I'm sure, miracles. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Some so, can be placebo or whatever, whatever else right. is going on. Yeah, right. Huh. Well, that's been that's been a really interesting conversation. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad you're out there doing this. I think it's going to help open uh, open some minds. I think so, Graham, and it already has, and it's been a lot of fun to do this and the, yeah. to see the response and to give people some hope in the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I mean, maybe um, send me send me a link uh, when your next book comes out, and uh, okay. and when your TV show comes out, and and you know maybe we'll have you back on to talk about it, or we'll we'll for sure plug it anyways. That's great. The uh, if anyone wants to go to our website, it's physiciansuntoldstories.com, and the book's available through Amazon. Right on. Is that where the people should buy it at Amazon? Or yeah. should they buy it from their web your website? That goes to Amazon, right? Amazon, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes for sure, and uh, we'll, we'll direct people there. That's great. Right on. Thanks thanks so much, Scott, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah. Graham, thank you, and, and Nathan, thank you also. I'll see you in, in uh, New Zealand sometime. <laughs> yeah, well, if uh, you're down that way, then, yeah, I'll be sure to stay in touch online, and, yeah, maybe we can meet up somehow. That's fantastic. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. So that was our chat with Dr. Scott Kobaba. What did you think about that, Nathan? Um, I, I can say that it's something that's actually uh, more interesting than I initially thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually am I'm thinking about maybe investing in the book myself. Um, yeah, um, that's... Uh, yeah, really different than what I've looked at in the past. But um, yeah, I like I like those kinds of stories and things that challenge the uh, the scientific, uh, you know, paradigm. Yeah, yeah, field and the the just the people that um, you know work in the medical field that have things that challenge their views on their own jobs and their own personal lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with a community like that, because these guys are. I feel like they're forced to suppress that and to be very materialistic and scientific right you know? it's yep. all about you know you yep. can't talk about any of this yeah sure. stuff i got mm -hmm. the, the the first book the first uh which interesting as well is uh the intro starts with mr kobalba i'm sorry to tell you that you just don't have what it takes to become a doctor you should give up your ideas and get a regular job <laughs> <laughs> so that's what he had to deal with and he talks right. about that story at the beginning right is yeah. how he wasn't even he you know but that actually spurred him on right but he had to study pretty hard, and, to, yeah. and to, you know they didn't even think he would become a doctor. So he he, uh, he really had to work for that. You know, make, it also makes me um, wonder about people that may not have shared due to fear of coming across crazy. Maybe that you know that just wouldn't talk, tell their stories. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's been quite a few of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that fits in with what we do on the show here, right? Is we're yeah. trying to that's why we're doing this exactly. podcast yeah. actually is to for people to share that. Yeah. I mean that's not really it doesn't seem like that's why, but that is why we, right. we did we did begin that. Yeah. And it comes back to 
I don't know, the church of experience, right? The yeah. people are are opening up due to personal experiences or experiences from people they respect or love exactly. or believe yeah. in. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Mm. So, yeah, well, thanks for joining me on this one. No, you're welcome. Thanks for uh, mm-hmm. having me on again. It's um, it's an honor, and yeah. Do you want to do the the uh, Do you want to do the Darren support uh, rant here? <laughs> oh, jeez, oh, no, you no, put me okay. on the spot it's there. Okay. No, so uh, check out uh, greatamerica.ca slash support for all the ways to support and donate. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes, all the links of how to to uh, help the show and connect with us on all the social media and all that kind of stuff. You can yeah. email your stories to. Graham, Graham Dunlop. <laughs> yeah. Graham at GrahamAmerica.com. Definitely support yeah. the show, guys. Yeah. And then do you have any uh, contact information for people? Or uh, The only um, contact information I have is um, via Facebook, really. Um, I'll, put, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, just facebook.com forward slash fractions, F-R-A-C-C-I-O-N-S. Um, that should take you directly to my personal page. Um Yep. Right on, buddy. Yeah, thanks for joining me. And thanks to everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. There's no heartbreak to speak of in my proximity. factor in the wider world My outlook is painted in misery Can you commiserate with me Can you commiserate with me
give it all you've got to give. Someone who would journey beyond our reef, f Maui, to restore Tefiti's heart and f us all. Oh, 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 thank you, Mother, that's enough. There will come a time when you will stand on this peak and f a stone on this mountain, like I did, like my father did. Ow! Ow! Oh. You're doing great. Is it done yet? Oh, 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 oh. So close. <laughs> I'm curious about that chicken f***ing the rock. Should we maybe just cook him? Uh, what's in there? The answer to the question you keep asking yourself. Who are you meant? inside, bang, and find out. You told me to f our people. This is how we f our people. Dad? I should have burned those d a long time ago. No, don't! When you f Maui, you grab him by the d You say you will f my d <laughs> I know, not every day you get a chance to f your hero. You? are not my hero, and I'm not here so you can see my No, I'm not going to some kid. Good riddance, you filthy pile of sh**. <laughs> and I'm going to you. You and my I could that all day. Get this away? Uh, hey, 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 I'm a demigod, okay? Stop that. I will you. You want to get Kakamora. Kaka what? Murdering little shits. Oh, sh do something! Help us! You, you f yourself! Don't! That's my grandma's! That's my grandma's! I f my grandma, and it took a week because she was absolutely humongous. For a little girl, whatever, who had no business being down there, you did solid. We're dead soon. All right, f time's over. Get up! Why? You gonna give me a speech? Tell me I can s a cop because I'm. Maui. I'll just keep f***ing. You need to stop doing that. F*** off. Just tell me what it is. I said f*** off. Is it why your f***'s not working? Oh. You don't want to f***. Don't f***. You want to f*** me off the boat? F*** me off. I am here. It's just me and you. And I want to f***. But I can't. If you don't f*** me, maybe the gods f*** for a reason. Maybe the ocean brought you to them because it saw someone who is worthy of being f***ed. My f*** is cracked. One more f and it's over. Maui! Without my f I am nothing. That's not true! Without my f I am nothing! Don't take life too seriously. 